and thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast. Episode 149, A Faulty Start. Last time, we introduced the SS and its rise, mostly due to the machinations of Heinrich Himmler, who aimed for the conquering of Nazi Germany, while Hitler aimed for the control of Europe. And having served his master well during the Night of the Long Knives, Himmler was allowed to form his growing SS into military units. The Liebstandarte SS Adolf Hitler was the first of these three units that would eventually form the Waffen-SS. The other two were the SSVT, the troops at the Führer's disposal, and the SSTV. This last group would form the prison guards of the SS prisons and future concentration camps. And those camp guards were about to become responsible for more of Europe. After digesting Austria and the Czech state, Hitler set his sights on Poland. But this time, it was to be open warfare, as Britain and France had warned Hitler no more, after the Munich Agreement. Hence, the SS Liebstandarte and the SSVT were to fight alongside the regular army, to hopefully earn their respect, while the SSTV units would come in afterwards and take care of security. The SSVT was split between the army groups North and South. The half that went to the North would serve under Major General Werner Kempf. Besides the SS contributing a motorized infantry, they would also give General Kempf an SS artillery regiment, an SS reconnaissance battalion, and an anti-aircraft unit. As this was thrown together at the last minute, its overall effectiveness would, at times, be as hurtful as it was helpful. As for the Liebstandarte SS Adolf Hitler, that was not allowed to depart Berlin until the very last moment, as its movements were followed closely by the public, considering it was named after the Fuhrer. Hitler told his generals that he wanted the invasion to begin on August 26th, and the idea was to send in troops in such a way as to not only surround the defending Poles in western Poland, thus cutting them off from the capital, but for other forces to progress as to cut off Warsaw so it could not be helped by other forces to the east. Yet negotiations with the Russians, though frustrating, were showing signs of progress. Hence Hitler delayed the attack until September 1st at 4.45 a.m. At that moment, two of the battalions of the SS Deutschland Regiment, acting as the tip of the spear of the Panzer Division Kempf, headed south from East Prussia. Between the 10.5-centimeter howitzers providing cover fire and the lack of real resistance in front of them, Deutschland was able to advance many miles that morning. Yet there were poles in front of them eventually. And those defenders rose and fired their guns. A few men of the SS regiment went down. They may have been ardent Nazis and had been training for six years, but nothing can prepare a person for seeing a comrade shot in front of them. Still, the men steeled themselves and advanced per their training. Having the Stuka dive bombers overhead helped their resolve. The Deutschland pushed on, 
hoping to reach the town of Mwava, itself about 79 miles north of the Polish capital, by the end of the day. But around noon, with the SS regiment still out in front, they reached the outskirts of Mwava, and here again they were to be shocked by the reality of warfare versus training. German reconnaissance had said that the Polish town was a strong point, and that it was ordered to hold out, lest Warsaw be approached from the north. So the SS troops knew they would meet tough resistance. But when the defenders' guns poured bullets out of their linked bunkers, the attackers were halted. The Germans dug holes for themselves to hide in. The German Corps commander brought forward the 7th Panzer Regiment to assist the SS troops when they renewed their attack at 3 p.m. But because there had been no practice of coordinating between the two, the tanks muddled around while the SS men advanced, only to increase their losses. The Panzer Regiment lost 40 tanks in that short time and then pulled back. But the SS men continued to try but gained no new territory. When darkness came, they laid down to await events. At 10 p.m., they were told to pull back and form a new line. The next day, however, would see them not move beyond that line. Adding insult to injury elsewhere, other units had managed to reach their destinations, which left the Polish troops in Mwawa exposed. This meant that the Panzer Division Kempf had earned the role of being one of the few units not to reach their first-day objective. Thus, it found itself, on September 3rd, being pulled back from their advanced position. However, in all honesty, it wasn't the fault of the men. They had tried hard, over and over again. No, it was the commanders who were inexperienced in coordinating the supposedly mutual supporting units. Yet the Deutschland wasn't the only SS unit to fare less than perfectly. The SS Liebstandarte Adolf Hitler, commanded by the politically savvy and Hitler suck-up Sepp Dietrich, had Defier's special attention. The leader personally followed the antics of this unit, expecting great things from it, as it carried his name. For this battle, the SS Adolf Hitler was put with the 8th Army, while it would be protecting the right flank of the larger 10th Army that was to start near Breslau and push on to Warsaw. But as this darling infantry regiment of Hitler's was the only motorized one of the 8th, the expectations for it were high. While maintaining contact with the 10th, again providing flanking cover, the motorized troops were expected to jump out ahead and perform reconnaissance. September 1st, 4.45 a.m. came, and the SS Adolf Hitler headed out, aided by the cover of the early morning mist. Their first few miles were uneventful, even exhilarating. But then the armored reconnaissance cars were hit by Polish anti-tank shells. Like the Deutschland, the men of the Adolf Hitler were about to find out how much their training had prepared them for this moment. But how does one prepare for death? Near Bolisavets, the armored cars were stopped. The crews either hid inside their cars or looked for cover elsewhere. 
But as the cars were stationary, through panic or indecision, the poles kept firing into them. Being trapped, waiting for death, the men exited the vehicles, only to be machine-gunned down. Those Germans who witnessed this were horrified, and they had yet to actually see a Polish soldier. Probably with more than a little glee, the report from the 13th Army Corps was brutal, but honest, as it reviewed the Adolf Hitler's performance. Quote, The unit suffered its first casualties and let itself get embroiled in frontal house-to-house combat with weak enemy forces. The bulk of the Liebstandata was not put into action. The idea of going around the enemy to the east was not exploited. The unit only moved forward when all life appeared to have been destroyed. The battle was only conducted with the foremost companies. Leadership did not exist. Unquote. Which pretty much summed up the day and explained why the regiment had so many casualties relative to other units. Before the day was out, the 17th Infantry Division came forward to assist and the Poles fell back. But this was only the first day. As the Poles were now retreating and making for the River Varta, 311 kilometers west of Warsaw, the SS Adolf Hitler was expected to catch up to them. Meanwhile, the pulled-back Panzer Division Kempf, that had the SS Deutschland Regiment within it, to the north, got a second chance. Being put with General Woodrig's Special Purpose Corps, it and other units were ordered to take advantage of the gaps created by the retreating Polish troops. Those of General Woodrig's would be broken up into three units, Combat Group Steiner, Combat Group Klein Heisterkamp, which held the Deutschland, and Combat Group Schmidt. Each group would have a mix of infantry, artillery, and tanks, along with the support troops that kept them all viable. Combat Group Steiner would take the lead. By the end of September 3rd, the Germans found out that the defenders of Moava had fallen back. This gave Group Steiner the chance it was looking for to redeem itself. However, the Polish troops on horseback, shielding the Polish infantry, were actually more maneuverable and faster than the motorized SS units, as the roads were horrendous, which forced the Germans to remain on them, yet only to proceed in first gear. This retreat fighting went on for two more days, with the SS units unable to deliver the killing blow. On September 5th, the Poles to the north of Warsaw had reached the river Narev, about 35 miles northeast of the capital. Here the Poles set up another defensive line, hoping the waterway would provide assistance. In came the three specialty combat groups of the former Panzer Division Kempf. They were to capture the town of Rosen, hard upon the river. The Germans attacked, but the mixed group of infantry and armor did not have enough of either to cross over and push back the Poles on the other side. Moreover, the Poles, in seeing this relative weakness, gathered their forces, crossed the river themselves, and pushed back the SS units. It was the embarrassing experience of Moava all over again. Yet, 
as the Poles and Rosen had condensed their numbers to make this push, the reserve forces near them were sucked into the attack. So the Polish line on either side of Rosen was thinner. This allowed the SS and regular units to cross to the north and south of the town, and in front of the crossing units were the men of the SS reconnaissance. With their two flanks breached, the Poles within Rosen pulled back, which allowed the town to be taken, and once on the far side of the town, combat group Steiner was ordered to turn north to help with other Polish units who were holed up in Lomza. This fighting took place on September 10th, but as the Poles were already retreating, the SS units there were shooting at fleeing men. Either way, the objective was reached, which is all important in military matters, and so Steiner began reorganizing his force to prepare for the next target. But before they could move out, another SS unit, which had been kept moving east from Rosen, committed an act that brought into question the whole of the SS structure. While Steiner had pushed north, a sergeant in his SS artillery regiment, with a few other SS gunners, had run around another town, randomly shooting 50 Jews. Further, they were preparing to set the local synagogue ablaze. Only the arrival of a regular army officer had stopped them. As there were to be prisoners in this war, word of this was going to get out. Not that this bothered Berlin too much, but at least this war was supposed to be about Germany defending itself from radical Poles, who had overrun several outposts on the German border. As such, there could be no justification for this. The army officer reported this to Major General Kempf, and he to his superior, the commander of Third Army, General von Kuckler. He ordered an investigation, which led to the men involved being arrested. But word would eventually make it back to Hitler, and his amnesty order in October settled the matter. But that was in the future. In early September, the regular army and the OKH, the Army's high command, were not impressed with the fighting ability of the various SS regiments, and the potentially explosive crime did not help matters. But in the end, Hitler was there to smooth over the issues. Kempf and his SS units continued fighting in Poland. Back to the SS Adolf Hitler regiment further south, it and men from the 13th Corps quickly earned a reputation for the shooting of civilians and those who had surrendered, as well as burning villages. Major General Loke of the 17th Infantry Division, a part of the 13th Corps, complained about the SS Regiment, even though his men of the 95th Infantry Regiment had done the same thing. But the Major General's complaint wasn't about the crimes against humanity. No, as the SS Regiment was the only motorized one, it should have sped along, keeping up with the 10th Army, not wasting time punishing those who the Nazis had already captured. He also pointed out that the SS unit had reached the River Varta on September 4th, only after the 10th Army had already been there. Still, the SS Adolf Hitler was now across the Varta, and now that it was, 
it was ordered to speed up to the city of Lodz, as a Polish pocket of troops was being encircled just west of it. The SS regiment was to play its part in making sure the vast number of Poles there could not help defend the capital. Yet Sepp Dietrich and his men then ran into soil that made speed impossible. He told the army officers of this, but they were not inclined to show mercy or understanding. What made this worse for Dietrich and his men was that there were two infantry divisions behind them that were actually walking faster than Sepp's vehicles. But now the SS regiment was in their way, slowing them down. Only Sepp's connection to Hitler would save him and his men. By September 7th, the 13th Corps had reached the town just to the southwest of Lodz. It was their job to make sure the Poles did not escape from their part of the forming circle, and so the commander sent in the SS Adolf Hitler's 1st Battalion and some armored vehicles. But both men and machines were handled roughly and pushed back. It seemed that the thin armor was no match for the Polish anti-tank rifles. Then the two remaining SS battalions were thrown in, but again, massive German casualties were the result. To make things worse for the SS, the Poles then staged their own counterattack to give themselves more room, and in their charge, Dietrich's own headquarters was in danger of being captured. Fortunately, a regiment of the 10th Infantry Division showed up, and helped push back the enemy. By dawn of September 8th, the town to the southwest of Lowe's was captured. The 13th Corps would go on to attack Lodes, but without the SS regiment. It was given security duty and then transferred to Lieutenant General Reinhardt's 4th Panzer Division of the 10th Army. The move made all concerned happy. As Army Group North had had amazing success in pushing all before it, Berlin soon noticed that a major concentration of enemy troops was being herded to the west of Warsaw. So orders were sent to some of the units of Army Group South to push north to help with this encirclement. This was done, and soon some 170,000 Polish troops were in a relatively large pocket whose southern border was the river Bruzra. But sensing what was happening and wanting to help defend Warsaw, the Polish troops pushed back hard, eastward during the night of September 12th through the 13th. Many of the Poles came right at the men of the SS Adolf Hitler. The SS regiment fought tenaciously, being helped by other units of the 10th Army. And though there were moments of panic, the vast majority of Poles were held back. By September 17th, the Poles to the west of Warsaw were exhausted. This allowed the Germans to press in, ever reducing the pocket held by the defending troops. At this point, the SS Adolf Hitler was moved back in reserve. Its work was done. Now the focus of Berlin and the world was on Warsaw, as German artillery pounded it joined by bombs falling on it from the Luftwaffe. As for the Deutschland Regiment, by this time it was east of Warsaw, trying to help encircle the capital. 
crossing the river Bug, the poles before them seemed to be disappearing. In reality, with the situation as bad as it was for the poles, by September 10th, the defenders started moving to the southwest of the country to try to make for Hungary or Romania. So now, the Deutschland found itself trying to help contain the fleeing Poles, which became easier on September 17th, when forces of the Soviet Union invaded from the east. By the 17th, besides Warsaw holding out, the only other true resistance was around Modlin, to the northwest of the capital. By now, the Burzra pocket had been eliminated. With the Soviets rushing westward, the Deutschland was told to help close the Modlin pocket, but by the time they got there and ready to engage, the Poles had accepted a German surrender. Hence, both SS regiments were sent to Prague for a refit. The local Germans there cheered the SS troops as they entered the city. It was heady times indeed for Himmler's men. They had bled for their country, but had faltered on some of their outings. Yet it was hoped that the officers had learned from this and would do better next time. More good news, the SS regiments were told that they were to be reformed as a motorized infantry division. With the fighting over in Poland, it was time for Himmler to send in his other unit, the Totenkopfstandarten, or the Death's Head. As for local control, that was given to Theodor Eck, and his job was to plunder Polish goods, but also to remove potential Polish resistance leaders, like the intelligentsia, military officers, and priests. And then there were the Jews, who were to be terrorized. With the war over, at least in regards to Poland, it was time to refocus on the internal struggle, the regular army versus the SS. One of the seven SS Einsatzgruppen, which had been placed in Warsaw, irritated the general in charge for their shooting of Polish citizens without army permission also with their drunkenness while shooting. Indeed, the army itself would kill some 16,000 civilian Poles, but it did so under the proper orders. But it was probably this post-victory tension, when everyone should have been happy, that led to Hitler to decree in October that SS troops charged with crimes were to be tried by a special SS court, and no longer by the regular army. Still, the army could point to the SS's relatively high casualty rates and their poor local leadership in the field. But as Himmler repeatedly told Hitler, traditional fighting was not the SS's prime objective. Rather, it was the security of the fatherland. And who could argue with that? Besides, the SS troops and their officers had learned much when fighting in Poland. They would do better next time, and, because of Hitler's care and concern, be much better organized and armed.